Hello, and welcome back to the Pipeline Superheroes podcast, hosted as always by Grant Cohen of Bloom Growth Studio. Today, we have something a little different from our B2B SaaS bona fides. We have Maxwell Lyman, founder and CEO of Solon Labs. Max, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Grant? I am good. I'm good. It's 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. It's uh, feeling like spring in New York, so I can't complain. It was like the 50s. <laughs> I just got back from a nice run. Post-daylight savings, you know, sun's not going down at 3 p.m. anymore, so really can't complain. Yeah, it feels great to no longer have this uh, mid-season postpartum depression. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, jumping into something a little bit more, you know, light, let's talk about Solon Labs and uh, Web3 and, you know, how you found yourself into that. So my main, how I found myself into the Web3 space is back in 2016, my older brother, he, uh, I, I was 16 years old. I was a high school student at the time. He was like, I just found this crazy new thing. It's going to be the future. It's Bitcoin, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's digital gold. It's going to change everything. And I was just kind of like, yeah, 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 okay. And then he was like, you're going to make a lot of money. And I was like, oh, okay, now I'm interested. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, at the time, he ran the business side of things. And I did. Um, I had just assembled a computer, a desktop as a kid, like many other children. Mm -hmm. So I, um, uh, he kind of roped me into building ASIC computers. And we originally started out of our parents' house just by assembling some, uh, some AMD graphics cards, RX 580s. And uh, within a year, we had our own warehouse space and we had uh, a bunch of ASIC units from China and we were hosting these units in house for our customers. And they could have access to our software and cooling and power and blah, blah, blah. That went well until 2018 happened, which uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of us, I'm sure, remember. But the price of crypto mm -hmm. basically went to shit. So a lot of people wanted to liquidate everything they had. They thought crypto was going to zero. So that was definitely an interesting life lesson, that whole business progression for me. So we kind of ran that passively until early 2020. And in the, in the interim, I consulted for a few different protocols to help them add value utility-wise in their ecosystems. And uh, then I worked for the US government. So I worked uh, as a government contractor. I worked with the CIA, CBP, NSA, FBI, every three-letter entity. And that's wow. where I met my co-founder, my co-founder, Ben. And at the, at the time when I'm, I first met Ben, he was 15 years old working for the government. And I, uh, I was able to convince him to leave our government job to start this company with me. And they offered to pay for his whole college tuition if he stayed. But thankfully, he came and joined the dark side. But that brings me to where we are today. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting, like, how cyclical Web3 is. I have a lot of friends in the, you know, I don't want to put the wrong general term on it, but the Web3 crypto space. And, you know, there's winters and then there's the salad days. So how would you describe where we are right now? So we are definitely like about to enter winter, if not exiting one. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. don't really want to say exiting one. I think it's a lot more likely that we're entering one, but I'm not a financial advisor. <laughs> mm -hmm. But any, anyway, I mean, like if you if you look at the current state of the market, the reality of it is, 90% of the human capital is just gone, right? 90 plus percent of the human capital is absolutely removed. Now, you do have something very interesting in this bear market that you didn't have in pre-existing. And that is you have a fundamental layer of support that exists mainly in the Bitcoin and Ethereum and Binance token ecosystems of people who 
actually utilize cryptocurrency in replacement of their local financial infrastructure. So if you look at the current statistics, even within the bear market, you'll see that we're still seeing significant user growth. But that user growth is no longer coming from first world countries that largely have users here for speculative reasons, right? Oh, I, I want to see number go up, but rather third world countries that where we see a lot of corruption and inflation and the people are utilizing cryptocurrency as a separate financial infrastructure because they don't really have an alternative, right? To them, it's, oh, for the first time in history, I finally have another option rather than being forced mm -hmm. to rely on my local government, my local currency. So we're seeing huge user growth and adaption in the third world market. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that was one of like the, you know, original great promises of crypto. So it's awesome to see that really manifested. Um, and, you know, looking through your website and your deck, you know, I think that like a big part of what, you know, you've been discussing and like what's what's present there is the blurring of lines between Web 2 and Web 3 and how apps may appear different, but will functionally be like very different. So like explain what it means to like, you know, frankly, the lay person, um, what like it means for our apps to move from Web 2 to Web 3. Um, that could be from a consumer standpoint or a business to business standpoint. You know, what, what would be the big impacts? So if we're looking at this from the more primitive sense of the definition of Web 2, Web 3, et cetera, Web 1 is read, right? And Web 1, I can go and I can search for information and I can digest that content. Web 2 is read-write, so not only can I read information, but I can also create my own content. I can create articles, I can create Facebook posts, Instagram posts, whatever, I can create my own content. Web 3 is read-write-own, so not only can I read content, not only can I create it, but I actually have ownership over the content I create, but it goes a level beyond that. I can also have ownership in the products I'm using which is a very new and interesting aspect to think about. And I think it's a very important one to highlight because the reality of it is, is as we're seeing with AI currently, is no one is going to uh, go against the notion that AI is going to take over 90 plus percent of jobs. That's going to be the reality. Now, are, how are human beings going to feel about that? Not so great. Are plenty of things going to happen in the interim before we ever get to that step? Absolutely. The really cool thing about Web3 once again, it's this idea that you can have ownership in the products you're using. Not every Web3 product is, is structured this way where it returns equity and ownership to its users, but we have the ability to do so for the first time in history. So mm -hmm. that's obviously very important when we get to the future in theory where AI does control 90% of, of jobs, where human beings have more or less become worthless unless you're one of the experts in your industry producing unique content, then wouldn't you rather have ownership in this entity that's replaced you rather than you just being completely out of luck? Uh, mm. So that's kind of like the, the base premise I like to think about. Uh, but, you know, it really goes beyond that, right? It's the idea of corruption and censorship in this world. Why be dependent on any individual or small group of individuals if you don't have to? And for the first time in history, We've been able to create infrastructure, decentralized infrastructure, that makes it so we can remove the dependencies of centralized individuals. Great example recently, Silicon Valley Bank, right? If you look at Silicon mm -hmm. Valley Bank, obviously the FDIC backstopped every single user account. But if the FDIC wasn't there, what we would have seen is every single user would have lost the vast majority of their funds. Now, banks exist in the first place as a centralized entity to custody your funds, 
Now, they also lend out your funds and they include them on their balance sheets because they have overhead, right? They got to pay their rent, they got to pay their employees, et cetera. So they're forced to lend out your funds. Now, the structure of this is just fundamentally flawed because they don't have any other alternative but to lend out your funds if they want to cover their overhead and beyond. Now, with crypto, with decentralized infrastructure, now for the first time in history, people can self-custody their funds without having to stuff their cash under their mattress, so to speak. Completely digital custodianship. And on top of that, you could put it all in US dollars if you wanted to. This way, you are your own bank. And that's the huge move, that's a huge difference, where in the United States, we've even seen you know, 150 billion plus dollar banks go down in the US. Now imagine what it looks like for the vast majority of the world that doesn't have FDIC insurance, that has mm -hmm, insane mm -hmm, amounts mm -hmm. of corruption and inflation. It is a lot worse. So for those people, and like we've seen in countries all around the world, third world countries especially have growing use cases for crypto, even in this economy, it's because they can be their own bank, right? Just looking at that fundamentally really changes the scope for the future. Just the idea of we can abstract away all these middlemen and bureaucracy related services because we finally, for the first time in history, created infrastructure that is not dependent on single, on uh, individual actors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that like what's really fun about entrepreneurship and working in tech to put something sort of generally is like you clearly have a vision. And your company is a way to make that vision of the future a reality um, in, you know, in a incremental sense, you know, like it takes time to build a company. Um, and to do that, you need to grow your business. And like, I think that's what's like can be at times frustrating when you're building a business is like, okay, I have this idea of this world that I think benefits people. And I have this product or service or whatever it may be. And I need to get people to agree to this to sign up and pay for this or whatever this may be. And this will lead them along this vision. So curious, like how you're thinking about growth as you have like, and, and as you related to the vision and like, you know, we'd really like to understand like what your team looks like in terms of like, are you doing a lot of this selling as well? Like, is this something where you've had a lot of organic market? Um, You know, I'll, I'll let you answer that. So this is one of the really amazing benefits of decentralization. And as we move progressively between, you know, web zero before the web, web one, web two and web three, you'll notice that CEOs are progressively becoming influencers, which is kind of crazy to think about, but it's a reality. With decentralization also comes transparency. And the benefit of transparency has been tenfold if you know how to utilize it. So for us personally, what we did is to initially fund our company, we had no clue what we were gonna do. You know, I'm 22 years old, my co-founder today, he's 19. He's a high school dropout. I'm not doing much better myself over here. And we knew no VCs. We didn't go to Harvard or MIT. We didn't have rich parents to help us out. So we said, okay, instead of bitching and moaning, how are we going to figure this out using the cards we've been dealt? So we mm -hmm. took a look at the blockchain, the current state, and we were kind of within this individual subset, even below crypto in the NFT market, a nice niche within a niche. But at the time, it was the perfect market to be in. So we decided, why not utilize what we see going around us all the time? All these companies that all they're really offering at this point in time is art and community and are raising millions of dollars. So we decided, you know what, let's do an NFT sale. So I created a Twitter account and uh, it's, it's a balance, right? Because one, you need to draw users to your platform in the first place, wherever you're going to sell them a product or content or wherever. And two, you want to make sure that they're getting a quality product and experience and you have a good retention, right? So one, what I did is I created a Twitter account. And like I said, we didn't have any money. 
So with $0 in ad spend and marketing, I just hopped on Twitter spaces every single day for six plus hours a day for months. And doing that, I just got up. I requested a talk. I would listen into the conversation, join the conversation if I could contribute value to the conversation. That's the key, right? You don't want to show your product. You don't want to ruin the conversation or the flow. People are there for entertainment. Now, people, people can smell selling value. too, you know? Exactly, right? Yeah. It's self-selling. Absolutely. The best thing you can do, one of the amazing things of this space too is, in theory, right, even if that doesn't work out, you can still take those followings with you wherever you go. So, you know, I would hop into Twitter spaces randomly, just contribute value to the overall conversation. Eventually, after about three months' time, I built up a following of 15,000 users, and we were able to trickle that down into our ecosystem. And we completely sold out of our NFT project and got $400,000 from that. We were able to use that to kickstart our company. And then using that, we we're able to then go to some uh, venture capital people and be like, hey, look, we have no product out. Relatively, we really only have an idea here on a napkin that we're probably going to iterate a thousand times. But even with no product out, we have $400,000 in sales. And we've already built up a community of you know 680 NFT holders or so, right? actively vested individuals who have given over their capital to be members of this community. And, you know, leveraging that position as well as the following we had built up organically, it was fairly easy to raise our pre-seed. So we raised $600,000 at a $10 million valuation on our tokens, a $5 million valuation on our C corporation through Soma Capital and one of six ventures. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Those are great firms as well. Um, So, are you familiar with the concept of a skew morph? It's a Chris Dixonism. I'm not. So a skew morph is like a vestige of an old technology that manifests in a new one. So for example, like if you had like a microphone button on Zoom, literally, that's a skew morph because like most people, I mean, I have a microphone right now, but they don't have that. Um, and even people say that the video part of Zoom is like a skew morph while we should really just be using phone calls. But all that to say, like the idea is there are these like vestiges of old technologies that make themselves into new. Um, and I'm curious, like how that, you know, and to translate to something, you know, that I like have experience with is that like, you know, Web3 inherently decentralized. So you can't really say Web3 without, you know, at least noting that or understanding that. So do you find that there's any vestiges of B2B growth? And I, you know, I know that's not exactly your, your background, but like as you plan your go-to-market, are you really focused on the consumer? No, uh, you're absolutely right on the B2B side as well, where, um, you know, we want to incentivize third parties to create applications on our platform as well. It's like the iOS and the App Store, right? iOS wouldn't be anything like it is today. Hell, Apple wouldn't be generating anywhere near the revenue they are today if it wasn't for the App Store, right? We don't plan on charging a fee like they do. But the point is, without all these third-party developers creating content on your iPhone, the iPhone would only be uh, 50% or so of what it actually is today, right? So one, we want to incentivize third parties to create applications, but also we want to incentivize third parties to be this uh, group of individuals we call bundlers as well, which are professional market makers. Uh, So the reason why we have this extra class of individual is to increase the efficiency of transactions. They, They naturally, through their normal day job position, take advantage of arbitrage opportunities and other inefficiencies that exist on the blockchain. And Solon, we created to realize these inefficiencies exist naturally, but how can we 
reorder them to maximize and and uh, really just abuse them to get the best results for the user, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so that's obviously on the more technical side. But taking this back to the skewmorph conversation, one I think is very interesting and kind of the whole premise of our project is is uh, explorers, right? So if you go look at any browser today, Google Chrome is a great example. Mm -hmm. If you go look back in the, you know, the 1990s, back when the first browsers were created, you know, your mosaics of the world, you'll notice that they look almost identical. They've mm -hmm. become a, a, a bit more simple over time. But browsers were originally created for sharing documents on the web. But today they've evolved into a, a lot more like a desktop environment, right? The vast majority of desktop applications are now run on the web. But yet browsers were designed for sharing documents. But also back in the 1990s, we also discovered that your application style interface, these desktop environments, your iOS, your Android, your Microsoft, for example, were the far superior way to interacting with applications from a user experience perspective. Yet browsers look identical, yet their purpose has evolved. So we're kind of targeting this as our initial pain point to say, hey, Solon isn't just this web three product. It's not just a web two product either. We're taking, we recognize this pain point that exists in the web two space that browsers were not designed for applications. But we also see these things that work amazing, you know, your iOS, Androids, Microsofts of the world that were designed for interacting with applications. So mm -hmm. we decided we can combine the best features of your desktop environments, the interface, with the abilities of the web, you know, being able to interact with just about anything uh, to create a desktop, sorry, to create an application style interface to browse the web. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. what Solon is in a, a very primitive aspect. Visually, it's quite similar to iOS or Android, except you not only have Web2 applications, but you also have Web3 applications and widgets side by side. And then utilizing the account abstraction technology our CTO Ben developed, we can simplify the Web3 applications. So the user experience is indistinguishable from Web2. And that's where we really wow. get to blurring the lines between Web2 and Web3. Mm -hmm. But our foothold market is going to be the NFT space from there. We'll work up. And eventually, hopefully, we can target you know, the Chromes of the world as our competitors. But really, we're an application-style interface to browse the web. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Um, so when you mentioned third parties in some of these browsers, like how did, like, what do you think is like the growth hack for you outside of like adoption by the user? So uh, it's really in how you create your flywheel, I would say, right? Mm -hmm. Whenever you're creating a product or whenever you're developing your go-to-market, you want to make sure you're designing a system that creates exponential growth over time, right? So the question is, okay, what mechanics do I have in my ecosystem? What parties and what variables? And how can I tie these together to create some mutual vested interest that leads to an accelerated growth event? So... Uh, in our system, it's you have application developers who create apps, and then the more apps that are created, the more users that are on, the more likely it is that we'll have you know good applications and applications with better user experiences. And therefore, the more users you have, and then the more users you have, the more application developers you have, and so on and so forth. It's like a, a little infinity symbol there, but you get the mm -hmm. point, right? It's how can I structure anything to incentivize growth over time? And even if you look at 
from more of a go-to-market approach, right? When you're dealing with users, individuals, and like I said, the Web3 space is very transparent. There's two sides to that sort. It's also very transparent in terms of user adoption as well. So what people in the Web3 space, their number one indicator of value is speculation. And the number one determiner of speculation is how many individuals have reacted to this and what given period of time. So I'll give you an example, a very primitive one, a, a Twitter post, right? People will decide, people will be more likely to like or retweet or even look at a Twitter post if it has more likes and retweets. That's just the way it is. Right, of course. Right? It's basic human psychology. That's why Elon Musk is fake at his numbers because <laughs> he's a, yeah, whatever. We only begin to that for yes. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. So it's, it's all about how can we create momentum and avoid dripping, right? Because you'll see plenty of communities that, you know, maybe have a few thousand members, but those few thousand members for the most part came in you know, over a period of a few months, right? You may have had a few rush events with some momentum, but most of them came in through the drip effect, right? You know, one per day or blah, blah, blah. But the issue with the drip effect is you're going to have a ghost community. Your general chat is going to be relatively quiet and people, new people that come into your discord or your community or whatever it is, are going to see there's relatively no activity going on here. And they're not even going to take the time to look into your documentation for the most part. Well, the opposite of this would be more of a floodgate effect, right? Where you build up all this momentum, all this liquid, all this mass, and then you open the gates at a singular point in time to create as much momentum as possible into your next event, whether that's trying to drive people to download the platform or to consolidate them into a more consolidated community like a Discord, you need to drive momentum because that's the number one indicator of value and it's the number one indicator of speculation. So if you can, you know, let's say have a few hundred people or a thousand people in one day joining the Discord, then the chat's gonna be blown up. Everyone's gonna be like, what is this thing? You know, you're driving mm -hmm, phone. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, it's about building the narrative, really just focusing on the why rather than the what, because people don't buy products for what they are, they buy them for why you do it, right? So if you can really not only create momentum, but then go and carry that through to driving the why, right? Really, really making it simple and clear for people to understand why you're doing things, getting them to react emotionally, you'll have no problems retaining users. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And I, I like the concept of momentum. I think you know, a lot of people in B2B SaaS see sales and go to market and, and you know growth as this incremental when obviously like the slope of it goes up over time, but it's still like definitely hard to like feel that moment of virality. So, you know, I think that's definitely, you know, represents a different space, but um, as we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to promote or any kind of people you're looking for from our community? Grant, I would just like to thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure to have this conversation with you and best of luck with everything you're doing. Thank you. As well, as well, mutual. All right, take it easy.